0: Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self.
1: And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a
0: similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone.
1: So let's dive in, Transparently Speaking. Diana, we've gotten some questions from our listeners about the testosterone episode. And I'm curious if you're open to us kind of exploring that a little bit and offering some insight both to that particular listener and to our others who may be curious about some of that experience that you shared. Absolutely. Let's hear it. Okay. I'm just going to dive right in. The first question is when Clark self-discontinued his testosterone, did they, I'm assuming they means your medical team, resume Lupron or another medication.
0: Mm. So Clark had a histrion implant in at the time, which is the GNRH agonist or puberty blocker. So his puberty was blocked. And so there was no concern there. Typically there is an overlap of you like, you keep that blocker in until testosterone gets to levels and kind of comfortably at levels. So that was thankfully not a concern. And okay. it, it would be interesting because if it was a concern, I wonder if he would have stopped or not. I don't know.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause this particular listener asked the question of, was there concern about entering estrogen lead puberty without that T? And so the answer is no, because no. we had the blocker still placed. And yeah. Lupron, the name referenced by the listener, must just be a brand name for the histrolin. Is that correct? Or um,
0: No, it's a different form of GnRH agonist, it's an injection. It's a more commonly used one, but you have to go in regularly where the implant is more expensive, but is one and done for depending on your practitioner, anywhere from one to four
1: years. Okay. The second comment is, I'm just going to read it directly. I'm so sorry that Diana felt isolated and kept this to herself. My first thought was that the very nature of puberty is questioning. Who am I? What do I like? What are my values? How am I different than or the same as my family, other kids, et cetera? It seemed perfectly natural to hear that a child was questioning gender amidst all those other questions. I completely understand stakes and complications of questioning gender are higher for a child on the transition journey. So the question isn't stated here, but I think it's a question about, you know, what really was your concern? Or how would you read sort of this statement, some of these thoughts?
0: I think I read that as the, that the listener is trying to normalize and make me feel better. And I, and I appreciate that. I think it's a little bit, and, and the listener indicates it at the end that there, you know, recognizes there is a little added complication. And from a personal standpoint, that complication, which we kind of talked about last episode is, did I do something? Did I, did I guide things? Did I pressure things? Did I not do something? Did I not keep the conversation open? So there's that aspect of things. Whereas if one of my children is going through like their natal puberty, you know, the puberty, their body is programmed to do like none of those questions don't come up. I have no control over it. I guess, unless they came to me and said, I identify differently, but I don't know if that makes sense. So there's that part. But there's also a part that comes up for me when I hear that question that I remember when Clark first transitioned and we were telling people and, you know, how do you know? How do you know? And we'd give all the evidence, how he's happier, all these things he said, different demonstrations. One of the things I would always add in is he was deathly afraid of chest development. Like he did not want it. and. When we would share that, people would say, well, you know, my daughter's afraid of puberty too, but that doesn't mean that she's a boy or I didn't want to grow breasts. It's normal to be scared to go through it. And it's like, yes, and that's
1: not what's going on here. So, um, Distinguishing between a normal fear of a process that is change versus I'm hearing you say for a child that is transgender, a process that brings their dysmorphia even more
0: into light. Right. That's more than just my more than my body changing because the people would say, I don't my kid doesn't want to grow up. They're afraid of growing up and having that change. And Clark wasn't afraid of growing up. He was afraid of looking in a way that wasn't who he was. And I think it's important to bring up here that what that looks like for everyone is different. So just because somebody is a transgender boy, meaning assigned female birth, doesn't mean that they necessarily don't want chest development or that they don't want their uterus or that they want a penis or any of those things like But I knew for Clark, he did not want, at that time, he didn't want chest
1: development. He still doesn't want chest development. Thank you for that. The third question here is, I'd be interested to hear Diana address the consequences of delaying puberty for another six to 12 months. Why did endocrinology want to get started with testosterone right at age 13? Especially when Clark seemed hesitant to start it, my first instinct was give him another six months to think about it.
0: Well, the reason that they wanted to start testosterone when they did was, uh, and he was fourteen or you know a, a couple weeks shy of it, but he was fourteen. Um, the reason they went started it is because his growth slowed down, and that was the physician's kind of indicator of okay, it's time to add in. Um, cross-sex hormones because the growth is slowing down and which normally wouldn't happen. I remember they're trying to replicate puberty. So normally that wouldn't happen. And that was the reason. And because when we talked about it, the timeline might not have been clear that once he stopped it, it was delayed 11 months. Um. So we did allow him that space and he had, and it was up at 11 months per him. He was ready at that point, but uh, it probably wasn't clear in our previous podcast that that's the, that was the timing between when he stopped
1: it. And when he started again, it was 11 months. And I think that it may or may not be relevant, Diana, how long, was he initially on it for like, you know, was it just a month or two or was it a period of time? And then I'm hearing you say he stopped it for almost a year during this period of kind of exploration and validation.
0: Yeah. He was on it for about six to seven months before he stopped it. And then
1: he stopped it
0: for about 10 to 11 months. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so
0: Wait, can I just pause (laughs) here? Of course. The fear is coming back as I talk (gasps) about this. Really? Yeah, it's coming back. I'm like, we're going to put this out there and people are going to be like, oh, you know, just playing with puberty and like just wish you what? Like, ah, I can just feel the fear coming back in my body being so open and saying this honestly of like, it's going to be thrown back in our faces. At the same time, I think it's important to
1: know. I, mean, I don't know how else it could have gone. Well, I'm. what I was going to say was, is what I'm curious about is it really sounds like, again, this care tra- team that you had mentioned, right? It's not like Clark is making these decisions, right? right? You talked about how we as parents have accountability to partner and support our kids and partner with physicians and specialists therapists. and endocrinology and therapists, everybody who can provide us the best insight that they have, right? So that we can help make good decisions for our kids. And what I'm really hearing you say here is there's a broader view for Clark's wellness just about growth in general and how kids develop. And uh, part of that just maybe happens to, to coincide with the concept of puberty. And so one other indicator is, hey, we want these kids to keep growing, right? They're gonna keep growing for a period of time. And if they pause growing, then maybe there's some risk or there's some concern about that. But the point is that seemed to indicate to this group of providers that there should be another step being taken. Right. Right. For his, for his
0: best interest. And, and I guess if I, if I could go back, maybe I would have paused things, you know, thinking about going for that first, testosterone shot and he was crying and talking about how it's irreversible. I really just, two things went through my mind. He's afraid of, he was, he actually is not now, but he was really afraid of needles back then. I think he's had so many now he's not, but he was really afraid of needles back then. And so it made sense to me. He also is a kid that doesn't like change. So that made sense to me and feeling like he had this control because what calmed him down is like, it's time for puberty which one is it going to be? Like, it it doesn't matter to us. Like, which one is it going to be? So it was that, I think it was like feeling like he had to do it. And I also, if I'm being, if I'm being brutally honest, I thought if we pause it now, you may not get it. I did Mm -hmm. think that And I don't know why, because our providers have always worked with us, but I think there's so much pressure on them from the outside of, you know, is this the right thing? Any indication, any indication of question or concern, you know, and I thought then he, what if they're like, okay, you're just going to have to go through, you know, estrogen puberty and wait until you're older to decide. That was my fear too. And I was like, nope, they told us to do it now. We got to do it now. Mm -hmm. or decide not to do it now. But like, I I didn't feel like we could ask for more time to think. And I think that's what I would do differently is ask for more time to think that there's nothing wrong with that. That if anything, it's a more solid answer. But instead I was like, you know, there's like, he's
1: crying. I'm like,
0: he doesn't like needles. he will be okay.
1: (laughs) Well, you make light of that, Diana. But I think as you're able to reflect on it and look in hindsight, there's so many variables that are happening in this moment in time.
0: Yeah. I thank you for saying that. Cause it hurts to look back and think that's so why I probably don't look back too much, but it hurts to go back and think that maybe I could have done it differently. So, but I think that's parenting, right? Like there'll always be things we think we can do differently and it's going from there, I think at the same time, I'm happy where we are. And if anything, the journey makes me feel more solid where we are because of all we've been through. It's when I think about what other people think that that kind of begins
1: to fall apart. So I won't think about what other people think. (laughs) Well, ultimately what I'm hearing you express is this vulnerability again of how might others judge me? How could this be used against us in this broader community? And I have a huge, open, big heart, you know, for you having that perspective. Um, and at the end of the day, there's so much in life that we're all just doing the best we can at any point in time. Yeah. And this was so early, right? Our listeners need to realize this was, what, six years ago?
0: No, this is only two years
1: ago. Okay. Still, two years ago, you and I had just been talking about that Hysterlin implant and the individual who placed it. It was the very first patient that that individual yeah. ever placed. We were on yeah, the, the early end, in the mm-hmm. office. Okay, fair enough. We are on the very early end of this transgender, okay. you know, so affirming care for our kids, and so all of us are in this period of learning. And I would like to hope and believe that our listeners, you know, recognize, hey everybody's still learning on this journey and it's fantastic that we keep learning more and more and we can share some of these insights about what was hard or what, you know, if we had to do it again, we might consider doing differently. So I just, again, want to honor you with a big open heart here. Thank
0: you. I think it's like feeling so under the microscope right now with all the legislation going on and the discussions going on, it feels like you can't make a mistake. And not that I think a mistake was made, because I think, I think it's been a beautiful journey. But if it, others think it's a mistake and it goes against us, us as a community, not my family. I'm not worried about my family. We're on the other side, but
1: it's everyone else. And I heard you, you know, really share that this particular journey is another version of a journey to share for people to realize that life isn't always on this consistent path life is often circuitous and learning is required and nothing's going wrong and right now nothing's going wrong Mm -hmm. yeah so thank you again for that
0: and Joy, you're like at the early start of this journey, right? Um, getting ready to start cross-sex hormones at some point upcoming and wondering how this all, like what goes through your mind as you hear this story?
1: Yeah. Um, I've already shared. I think my my heart is just open to you and I'm so grateful that you've been willing to share the details and the struggles even of the journey you and Clark have been on. We are at the very start of this journey. So Samantha, in the last uh, month or two, it's been exciting times for us. She had her second blocker placed, that histralline implant. So removed and replaced. And then within a month, we had a follow-up appointment with endocrinology to talk about our next steps. So Samantha turns 13 in September, And early on, that was about the age where there were conversations for beginning cross-sex hormones. I believe actually initially in our journey, the conversation was around the age of 14 and it continues to be moving up. The age moves younger. And the conversation was that our doctor is supportive of Samantha starting estrogen this summer. So the insight she shared was, hey, we like to do it, you know, to support kids. She was asking Samantha about, hey, if you had your way, like, when would you want to be starting to develop? When would you want to be going through puberty? reading? she was like, now. (laughs) And so um, there were questions around, you know, do you understand the implications and She clarified that what's going to be really important to ensure, again, this network of support providers is all on board and that we're thinking through all the right implications to be making this decision was to ensure that we were prepared to have the right conversations with our therapist, with the psychologist. And so uh, we went through some of those questions about, you know, what are the implications of puberty kind of either way, right? What would be happening to you if you went through your your natal puberty and what would happen if you go through a medical based puberty with estrogen and then what are things that, you know, you can't quite undo to your point. And so it was really interesting. She made it very clear, okay, we're ready to support you. What will be required is a letter of support from your mental health provider. Mm -hmm. And so very, I'm grateful she, they have a little printout and it says, we must receive your mental health provider's letter of support for gender-affirming hormone therapy before you can schedule an appointment for consent and medication to start. The letter of support should comment on the following things. First, the teen's ability to understand the risks and benefits of medical intervention, HRT, which stands for hormone replacement therapy, and provide independent assent to begin treatment. Two, the level of support for hormone replacement therapy within the family system. Three, a brief timeline of the teen's gender identity formation and the degree of social transition. Four, current diagnoses, if given and relevant. Five, a description of the duration and frequency of the therapeutic relationship. So, this letter is to include all those things and to be sent to endocrinology in advance of administering and beginning this process so super helpful to understand as i've shared uh, with you diana i'm not sure if we mentioned this to the listeners we've actually only had a handful of mental health Mm -hmm. appointments you know we did it very early on because it was required for insurance in order to place the blocker and we had a couple appointments we got to go ahead we stopped And there was this open conversation about, gosh, why is it really required? Uh, Because similarly, even now, it feels like, oh, it's just another step I've got to take. And ultimately, I'm grateful because as we talked about, it's, it's telling the story of the bigger picture of health support and a network of resources to ensure that we're helping our kid make the right decision for them.
0: Yeah, but I think it's hard because like, I get a little like when you mentioned two of the questions. How long, like, how long's the gender development journey? I mean, there's some judgment there. We've talked about kids that keep it inside for years and don't say anything. Does that mean they have to wait longer for treatment? The form doesn't say that there's a certain amount of time. So, in fairness to this form, I think they're trying to understand and collect as much data as possible. But, you know, it makes me hesitate because it sounds like, 're If you've had this identity for longer, like it's better, and um, I just worry about the people that may not have been open about their identity for as long, but also the frequency of therapy, like that's another ooh, why? Why do you want to know that? Because I think I've mentioned at the beginning of Clark's journey, we went to a therapist that we thought would see him, and she was like, "Is he unhappy?" I'm like, "No I'm like." is there something wrong? No. And she said, then why do you want him to be seen? Because you're going to give him the message that there's something wrong with being transgender, being who he is. And I was like, oh, she's like, if at any point he's unhappy or he's having a hard time with something, then like, let us know. So he started going to therapy partially to prepare. We didn't know when puberty blockers would start but also we were in the middle of a move and a new child. And so there's a lot to talk about. (laughs) But yeah, that concerns me. And I know they're trying to cover themselves again with the legislation of some legislation has been against the healthcare providers that provide the care.
1: What a mess. I'm with you. I mean, I am a little nervous about this and my fingers are crossed. I'm hopeful that, you know, a couple appointments to have this mental health provider kind of verify the child seems healthy, seems, you know, in their right mind to make good decisions. The relationship with the parent seems, I don't know, you know, yeah. supportive or helpful or whatever the, the quote appropriate messaging is in order to move forward. Um, but I also, I am nervous because for exactly those reasons, we haven't engaged with mental health support. Samantha hasn't voiced any interest in it. I, I, have had conversations with her. Hey, do you want to be talking with someone about this? Do you want to, you know, are you looking for support or help? And in general, as we've talked about, like early on, this whole journey was stressful Mm -hmm. and learning a lot, but then we're like, we've just been living this life. This is just who she is. And so there hasn't been a need or desire for additional support in the mental health space. Um, So I'm great. I'm hopeful that that won't create a challenge for us in moving forward with this medical intervention and the start of hormone therapy. Which reminds me of the advice I
0: was given early on, which was go to the healthcare provider that can provide care as early on as you can and go once a year just to be like, here we are, here we are, are," to document it. And I've kind of moved away from that I'm thinking of Dinah. Do I need to start going, start that, start that for him?
1: Well, I'm curious when you say the healthcare provider, are you referring to like our endocrinology support? Okay. Whoever would
0: provide the medical transition care, if that's desired, like, I don't know if Dinah will desire that or not, but if that's desired, so Um, Yes, because sometimes it's an endocrinologist, sometimes it's a pediatrician, an adolescent medicine practitioner, family practitioner, all those um, specialties have provided care, so...
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'm grateful that we've had consistency in that support through our endocrinology uh, specialist and provider because we've had to change multiple times like our pediatricians and even this therapist, uh, the one we're seeing right now is somebody new. The person I reached out to that we saw several years ago or a couple of years ago, you know, doesn't have availability and wasn't taking patients, any quote new patient, even though we wouldn't have been a true new patient. Um, But I was our request for an appointment was rejected. (laughs) So then I had to go find somebody new. So I am grateful that there's some continuity with a key provider. And I can imagine I'd be a lot more anxious about it if we didn't have that visibility or or level of ongoing care and support. Right,
0: yeah. So, and that's why that was given, that advice was given, is that not only is there documentation of the child showing up and identifying as they are, but that there'd be more comfort for that medical provider to provide medical transition care if it's desired. But again, it causes me to concern for that child that's kept it in for a long time. And when they, when they, um, you know, when they identify themselves as who they truly are, it's because out of desperation, they don't like their bodies anymore. What happens for that person? I don't
1: know. I think we don't know, because that's definitely not our experience. But I'd love to believe that that journey that you just described, where an individual is maybe even coming to awareness about their identity in the midst of puberty, or after struggling with finding someone in their life who's supportive, right, you know, that, that there is an outlet, or there's a a plan for care for those individuals to quickly get the support that they need. And I realize even the, the story I mentioned or the challenge I mentioned of getting a mental health provider, like it took a matter of months. So I think there is a real risk and a reality here for folks who are looking for really urgent care right now, especially their demand is high and supply yeah. for providers seems really low. And that's a real challenge. I know I've heard from other parents. For sure.
0: For sure. I don't know what the answer is. So start looking now. (laughs) Actually, I always, from the first time we went to a healthcare provider, we we went to someone before our endocrinologist because she wasn't there yet. I would ask from day one, what is your protocol for getting medical care? What is your protocol for getting medical care? I would ask them until they gave it to me. So I would know, is therapy part of that? How much therapy? Because every provider has different six months of therapy, three visits. Those are two different
1: examples I've heard of through the years great advice and insight to share is get really clear on what the provider will need in order to provide the support you're looking for
0: yeah it doesn't mean you're forcing your kid into it it means that you're prepared they don't get there and like oh I didn't know I needed that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: well thank you joy you're welcome
1: that's a wrap on this episode of transparently speaking thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast.
0: Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com.
1: If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana.